0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Good morning, how's it going? Welcome to a bright and early edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. We are live on the YouTube channel. If you're listening on audio, uh, then please do leave us a review. If you're watching us live, jump in the comments, get involved In the discussion, leave a like on the video and, of course, subscribe to the channel. Um, Bit of a mid-season review coming your way. Uh, Arsenal have played exactly half of their Premier League games this season. And um, you could say we're halfway to achieving something that would be incredible. Uh, Alongside me to kind of break down what it is that is simply so much better about Arsenal this season, to make some comparisons to the seasons uh, that have gone by. And to try and put our finger on exactly why Arsenal are a much better outfit than the one that finished fifth last season uh, alongside me is the brilliant Mike Stavrou dressed as though he's going for war. Mike, that looks a very warm piece of attire. I like it.
1: You know what, man? Like It's just so cold in my flat. It's really hard to heat up, so uh, I wear about three, four layers. Today This is scaled back, actually.
0: Usually it's, uh, it's a lot more layers, man. <laughs> well, good to see you anyway, man. It's been a little while. Um, I know you're a very, very busy man uh, these days. Uh, let's say a few quick hellos uh, to people joining us in the live chat. Uh, big hello to Owen, uh, who had the pleasure of meeting the other day. Uh, really nice guy, top guy. Um, great lad. Great to see you. And uh, good to see you in the chat, mate. Um, hope you're well. Uh, Daniel uh, Nav Omar is in the chat and it's Omar's birthday. So happy birthday, Omar, uh, regular listener slash viewer. Of the podcast. Hope you have a great day, mate. Big hello to Adam, who says he's a long-time listener, but it's the first time he's with us live. He says, come on, you gunners. Uh, We've also got Derek in the chat and Danish Islam, who says, "Um, very important to have the mentality to stay humble. Yeah, I think that if we're being honest, we're all staying humble at the moment. I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm not getting carried away. Uh, We say halfway to achieving mm. something special because we're at the halfway point, but it doesn't mean that we're going to finish the job. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Saswat says uh, would have guessed uh, dressed as DJ Khaled, but war is fair, I guess. So Mike, you do look a bit like DJ Khaled with that jacket to be fair and the beard.
1: Uh, I mean, hopefully not weight wise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that, that, that's a huge dig. That That is a huge dig. Much prefer war rather than DJ Khaled. I bet you'd rather have his wallet
0: than yours, though. Yeah,
1: absolutely,
0: absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Okay, let's um let's do this then. Um, Mike, first up, before we dive into some stats and facts and stuff to kind of back up the points we're making, which Mike has done some incredible work on in the build up to this show. Um, how are you feeling at the moment? Because I was very much saying to people, ask me after the North London Derby and the game against Manchester United, ask me at that point if I thought that. Mm. Arsenal could go on and and win the Premier League. I don't want to get carried away. I don't want to get too excited. But every test we seem to have come up against so far this season, we've managed to pass it with flying colours. And so at some point, you've got to start to believe, right? I mean, where are you on this?
1: Yeah, Uh, I think I started to believe uh, after the first half uh, of the North London derby, when we absolutely dominated Spurs, I thought we were... You know, imperious, really, considering, you know, how derbies away at Spurs have gone before. The fact that we started this uh, this game, like, in full flow, um, you know, really showed off our strengths. And uh, one of the things we're going to pick out later in the stats is uh, our, um, our possession line, possession one line, and how brave we were in winning the ball basically on the halfway line. Uh, you know, against Spurs, it's a team that can hurt you on the counter attack, and we knew that, but we still said, you know, what we believe in our game, um, and I think it was it, it was that it was it wasn't so much uh, to do with a points tally, it wasn't so much to do with uh, you know going clear of uh, of of Man City, which we did, but it was more from a mental standpoint, and I think you know beating your rivals in in that fashion. Obviously, I know they got back into it in the second half, but beating your rivals so emphatically and there's a really interesting sort of comparison between Spurs and Arsenal right now and we spoke about before the North London derby Uh, but you know we're a team that's basically built a project from from the ground up with a a young manager a very young squad Um, and that's what Spurs did with Pochettino and uh, they had a young team that uh, a young manager uh, you know with they played exciting football and they got you know arguably at this stage further than us, because uh, they went on to get to the Champions, the Champions League final. Um, and what they've done is done the inverse and gone sort of backwards by hiring managers like Nuno and Conte and Mourinho. Uh, so they're actually looking at us right now saying, you know, Arsenal are the blueprint to for what a project should be. Uh, and it just shows, and it's, it's a moral win for football, really, because with all these clubs backed by, you know, these Gulf states and Saudi Arabia. And, you know, there's talks about Qatar, um, you know, wanting to get an investment in a Premier League club. This is this is a moral win for football because we've shown how to do it without much money. I know, obviously, there's been big signings like Jesus and Zinchenko and, you know, Thomas Party cost a lot of money and Ben White and Ramsdale. But compared to, like, Chelsea, compared to, you know, what uh, Man United has spent, Man City, we're doing it on a much lower level. So... Um, yeah, I think r- really like mentally, uh, we're, we're in a good spot and it's just about keeping it going. Um, and obviously like I've not asked myself this question yet, but, and i ask you, but if we were not to win it now, obviously I'd be devastated because it's a huge, huge opportunity, but I wouldn't say like, you can't say, ah, oh, like you can't be absolutely like gutted
0: and, and say it's all a disaster. Uh,
1: because it, we've done so well to get to where we are.
0: I think you can be gutted at the time. I think the emotion of missing out narrowly would be difficult to take at that point, And that will naturally lead to people reacting in a very raw way. You know, you would get people that, you know, feel angry, disappointed, frustrated. But I think you're right. When the dust settles, you would have to look back at it and say, this was still an incredibly successful season. Um, you know, if you... If you get pipped by Manchester City by a handful of points because they put an amazing run together and maybe our inexperience shows or or a lack of depth in certain areas comes back to bite us, then you go, okay, you know, that's just the way football goes sometimes. But anything I'm at the point now where anything below like a second place finish would be a disappointment for me. Mm. It's taken me a long time to sort of acknowledge that shift because I'm very much the type of person that says at the start of the season. if this is your ambition and this is your goal, this is what you should be aiming for. And if you achieve that, you've had a successful campaign. Because I always feel like you can get caught up in moments, you can get caught up in circumstances, and you can get carried away by circumstances when it doesn't always paint the the real picture of your team. For example, Mm -hmm. you know this season where Arsenal have been flying in the way that they have, it's not because the teams around us are crap. We've been in title races before, Um, in the Emirates era, where that was more of a consequence of the rest of the league not being up to standard Mm. rather than us being that good. I mean, if you think about the year Leicester won it, you know, if you look at the points tally and you compare it to where Arsenal are at now, for example, you'll see that actually Leicester's position, and, and I'm not taking anything away from them, they've done an incredible job. But the point I'm trying to make is that that was a byproduct of teams around them not being up to scratch yeah and the reason we felt that we were in the race that year was not because we were ready to win a title but it was because it was Leicester that were leading the charge and you felt that they were catchable and you felt that they would have that blip so this time it's not like that this time you look at it you look at Arsenal's record which we're going to come on to in a minute and it is nothing short of fantastic Arsenal were there this time on merit so um yeah we'll see how it goes uh let's go on then to um to, to break some of this down let's um bring up some stats and facts that uh, Mike has very kindly pulled for us. So Mikel Arteta's first full season in charge, the 2020-21 season, we played 38 matches, obviously, uh, won 18, but we lost 13 times, Mike. Um, Inconsistency is probably the word that I would Mm -hmm. use to describe that season. And I know uh, there were a few things in there. We'll come on to do like an overall review of the three seasons that we're looking at, but... I, yeah. I know inconsistency was is is the word for me that kind of summarizes this.
1: Yeah, inconsistency um, not only with performances but with uh, with players, uh, with the as as we'll see as well. You know the the difference in the lineups, Harry. The fact that you know sometimes we'd play three at the back with uh, Kieran Tierney at, at left centre back or Serkalanac at left centre back, and you know. I mean, when you compare those the, the 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 squad we had then, the squad we had now, it's it's night and day. Um, but yeah, some of the some of the things just on on this screen that that really stand out to me is um, is crosses. Like, and I remember like reviewing like early Arteta, me and you talking and saying, you know, Kieran Tierney is our only outlet in attack, and that was that, like the the literal game plan. It seemed like from the outside. Was to get the ball to Kieran Tierney and cross it, um, and that's why you see so many crosses. Um, so yeah, it's just it really has developed, and I think it's in the reason we're doing this is because it's really important to look back and see how far we've come. Um, another thing that that stands out there is uh is red cards. Like five red cards is you know it, it speaks of a of a team of ill discipline and a team that that and you know they can lose their heads and you've got players who are maybe liabilities. And there's just, there's so many things I think that that were wrong at that time, not only, you know, uh, with, our te- with Arteta's team and his selection, his tactics, but stemming from from the culture and and the tactics of managers like prior, you know, Emery and Wenger as well. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, if we take it on then to the 2021-22 20, season, which was last season where Arsenal finished fifth, Um, A lot more consistent, but still not consistent enough. Uh, Matches played 38, 22 wins, um, 13 losses. Not that many draws, just a handful of draws, but we were losing way too many games uh, in that season. Goals conceded 48, way too many. Goals scored 61 is not massive, is it? It's not something to really shout about. Um, Kept a fair few clean sheets, but again, you know, there's a lot of things in there. Uh, you know, again, the crosses thing is is quite high, as you you pointed out in your notes. It's mm. just I, I don't know. It was better, but it, it wasn't an awful lot better, was it? It was progress, but not that much progress. No,
1: it was it was slow progress. Um, and I think, I mean, we were still asking, weren't we, in, in this season, what's the sort of style of play? And we still weren't really seeing it at times. I think we we saw a sort of shell and what we what Arteta maybe wanted to do and was building towards but I wouldn't say it's until about the second half of the season where where we really saw okay this is how we want to play and we we're, we're going to do it right regardless of, of if we've got players fit or if not because like even just looking back to uh the North London derby last season I think which we might look at um you know we had like Rob Holding and Cedric starting in in, in defense um so that's clearly like not. If you look at Arteta's style of play now, like, them players are clearly just like not up to standard, are they? And I think that's why, that's why we brought in that new centre back as well because we're kind of saying, all right, we need to, we need to come and move it on, and that's why Cedric looks like he's going to Fulham. So it's it it is sort of, um, you know, it, it's what Arteta had to work with at that time, and uh, you know, we were close to Champions League, but not quite enough, but. I would stay still, like, between the the season we just looked at and this season, you know, it was a jump up. We finished eighth, and then we finished fifth. So there was improvement. It wasn't, like, you know, in your face like it was this season, but there was still, you
0: could see signs of it. Yeah, you could see the shoots, couldn't you, of it Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you take it on to this season, where we've played 19 games so far, Mm. 16 wins on the board, just the one defeat. Uh, 45 goals scored, which is almost what we, if you're, I take it back a second, goals, um, where is it? Goals, 61 goals last season. Yeah, I mean... And we've hit 45 already and we're yeah. only halfway through. Yeah. Um, goals conceded is is pretty low as well. Nine mm. clean sheets from the night I, I, I think that the clean sheets could have been a little bit higher based on the results that we've got, if mm. I'm being honest, but... Mm especially against the bigger sides, the Liverpools, the Uniteds, the, you know, generally speaking, we've we've conceded goals in the home games, haven't we, where you'd, you'd ideally yeah. like not to, but obviously these are top teams as well. Um, but you just look at that and you you can see it, it's worlds apart. And, and what you did, Mike, uh, was pull together some kind of key talking points from mm. these sort of, um, these statistics. So uh, I'll let you take them, take them on. Yeah. Um, talk to us about them.
1: Yeah, so so the goal score which which you picked out, you know, um 10 behind uh 2020, 2021. And you know, we're we're halfway through the season. So we played, you know, 19 less games. Um and then again, you know, it's not even it, it's a huge difference as well between the last season as well, sixteen behind, um, and also goals per match as well is 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 way up. So it it just shows, you know, our the, the attack is clicking. Um and I think obviously uh, the big difference in that is pushing so many more players forward because we've got that, that competent back five now of uh, you know, the, the, the four, the four uh, defenders and then Thomas party in front that they're, they're so solid. They're so organized. they they're so compact. It allows the five attackers to, to come into play because I think what we saw in, in previous seasons was um we were attacking with, let's just say, Alexandra Lacazette, Martinelli, uh, Saka and Odegaard. Um, but it, it was those four. But then you know, at, when because Lacazette dropped so deep, you wouldn't really see that many players in the box. Odegaard sort of hovered on the in in the number seven position as he does. Martin Saka are not re- they're still not players that really get into the box and try and get on the end of crosses, are they? So the difference you're seeing now, and I've noticed it in recent games, but the amount of players that we have in the box, like it's not only those five attackers, but sometimes you'll see that you, you see the fullback getting there, like um, Tommy Asu. I saw against uh, when he came on against United was getting in the box. Um, and uh, on, on the other side, Zinchenko might not get in the box, but he's on the edge and you'll have five, six players in the box. Um, so obviously that's going to improve your your chances of scoring and it allows, you know, Odegaard to say, okay, well, I don't need to be in the box, but I can hover around and if there's a chance I can get in there. So um, yeah, another thing is is, is penalties where we're way less reliant. I did make the cheeky point point a less decisions going our way. Uh, I, I don't know. We can debate that one. Um, yeah, the, the crosses was was one I picked out because as I said earlier, you know, we don't really do meaningless crosses now. We don't do hopeful crosses. Uh, there's, but that's because we've there's got much more That's
0: because we've got an idea yeah. now. I think... Exactly. I don't think there was ever a point where Mikel Arteta went, I want my team to put the ball in the box early all the time in the way that Sean Dyche would or, or Sam yeah, Allardyce would. Yeah, yeah. There was clearly an issue with creativity and the default for somebody like Kieran Tierney when he gets into that area is to put the ball in the box early and I actually mm. think that you know we're going to come on to compare Tierney and Zinchenko a little bit later on yeah. but I actually think that was Kieran Tierney's default action when he gets oh, into course. those positions and it just didn't work for us and so we were looking at it and we were going well Kieran Tierney the only one that gets forward he's the only one that gets into uh, you know those types of positions. But when he gets there, what he's doing with the ball is actually not leading to an awful lot. And, and I think that was a a problem or a byproduct of a wider creativity issue. Mm. Uh, But you're right to highlight that because the the number of crosses has dropped dramatically. Mm. Now you see Arsenal get to the byline and cut the ball back. Now you see Arsenal play in the half spaces. Now you're seeing Arsenal, um, you know, with a, a real idea and a pattern to their play. I don't know if you saw it. There was a clip going around of Mikel Arteta sort of giving like a kind of coaching seminar a little while back when he was talking about um, how you, how you progress the ball in the wide areas. Cause what a lot of fullbacks do is play it down the line to yeah, their winger. I saw that. Who, yeah. Do you see it? Yeah. Brings yeah. it under control and then can't go inside. Can't turn anywhere because the fullbacks marked mm. him well. And then, you end up with them having to play the ball back or in field and, and you're essentially starting again and what he highlights is that if you put a slightly different angle on the pass if you make your way as a fullback into a slightly more inverted area you attract the attention of the defender which allows you the space to then play it wide and give that winger yeah, more yeah. chance to kind of beat his man and get to the danger zone so really interesting stuff and just watching that alone highlights the the level of sophistication in Mikel Arteta's coaching, you know, it highlights yeah. how I think, meticulous yeah. he is. I
1: saw, I, I saw the same thing as you, but um, it's weird because I, I saw a bit later on as well when he, he was also talking about the wingers getting the ball, but he was talking about the the, the body shape of the wingers when they receive the ball. So if they receive it with their with their back to goal, all they're going to get is is the left back or the fullback, you know, pushing up on them, trying to nick it in front of them, or just going into the back of them. And, you know, that can win you a foul, but ultimately, you know, you're gonna get the ball and you're gonna have to do something, you know, out of the ordinary to try and have your back to goal and then spin around and, and beat the defender, um, or just pass back to your fullback on midfielder. But if you if you receive the ball on the half turn like Saka does all the time, um, he receives it in it in a way that in about two or three touches he he can be past the the fullback or he can then come inside and drive in field as he done so well. Um and that's something that Arteta teaches uh, so it is interesting like all these little tactical tweaks that, that we see and we, we saw it with um with him at man city as well and there was a there was a video on the training ground of him telling sterling to do a, a particular run into the box and um i think that in the next game or the next few games sterling actually did what arteta told him and he scored so obviously he knows what what he's doing with wingers especially he's got a you know a, a very good know-how with,
0: with attacking play yeah, for sure. Um, we mentioned clean sheets. I mentioned that I thought that given the results we've had so far this season, that the number of wins that yeah. we probably could have had a few more. And and I think that's me probably nitpicking because of the standards that we've set so far this season. But as you rightly point out, we're only three away from mm-hmm. the twenty 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 one 21 total. So again, yeah, real sign of progress there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this, you know, I, I agree with you because there's 16 goals conceded. Uh, and nine clean sheets, so you you would expect maybe a few more there because there, there, there's been a lot of games where we've like the the Leicester game way at the beginning of the season, you know we threw away two stupid goals. I think William Saliba scored an own goal, so there, there, there have been times where we've sort of just given opposition a a goal here or there. Brighton,
0: I know I know we yeah. won the game, but we we kind of allowed Brighton to come back yeah. into the game, and that should have been a clean sheet.
1: It, yeah. it it should have, but I mean, yeah. I think we we've sort of sharpened up on that but um yeah it would, would be nice to keep a few more clean sheets just um yeah goals conceded per match way down tackle success um and most yeah if if you look at those defensive metrics i mean most of them are, are way up on on previous seasons uh which is which is obviously great and uh discipline as well harry that's a that's a big one zero yeah the the premier league they they're trying to give us red cards you know because on the premier league graphic it says it says uh one red card i was like i was trying to think when was the red card but there isn't one
0: no i know i when you sent this across i looked at it and i went red card yeah No, who who was the red card against and and i've looked on a couple of other websites and i can't see who that red card was for so i'm assuming i I think it's wrong as well yeah i can't think of one in the league i just i don't know i can't think of one
1: but um you know yeah zero red cards um, in 19 games, but then you know five red cards in uh in 2020 2021 and four in, in the following season. You know, that that's only Premier League. There was other games where we were getting red cards as well. Did Jacker get sent off against Liverpool? Uh, in the in the League Cup was it? I don't know. I might be wrong on that, but I know there was it. There was a red card. Uh, there's there's been red cards in cups and Europa League, not so much. Uh, but th- this is only Premier League. Um, so yeah, it just showed a, a, as I said earlier a bit of ill, Ill discipline. Um, I think Jacker was probably responsible for a lot of those. Xhaka and Gabriel, I think those two can can be quite rash, uh, but they've they've both worked on their game and uh, it shows individual pr- um, improvement, Harry. But it shows collective improvement because we're not leaving players in positions where they have to make rash challenge. It, it was Xhaka against uh, Jota. I remember. Do you remember? He sort of yeah. Jota was through on goal and he went in jumped into him that, that could have been Premier League but I, I remember, I remember no, that, was that. that was Carabao
0: Cup that's Carabao
1: Cup yeah there you go yeah um so yeah we're, we're not leaving players in them positions as as much as we were uh I, I remember I'm, I remember the Wenger days and we used to play like a high line with Per Mertesacker and Koscielny and then we used to wonder why we used to get so many red cards well, it was like because one ball over the top and the, the team were basically in on goal and you know you're gonna to have to you're gonna have to bring them down, or otherwise you're gonna concede. Um, so we're not we're not doing you know we're not putting our players in positions where they're gonna get red cards. And and also as well you know when you've got so much of the ball, when you're dominating matches, when you're winning matches, there's no need to jump in and and uh, and you know really try and make a fifty-fifty tackle and with a high boot or anything like we would have done before. So yeah, it's it's a huge improvement,
0: massive. Yeah, it is indeed. Um, a, a few people pointing out that Gabriel was sent off at Leeds and then that was overturned. Do you remember where he was a judge to have kicked oh, out? Oh, right. Yeah, the yeah, player yeah. And then But that shouldn't be included in the Premier League statistics because no, the card was overturned. It's not a red card, though. It's nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, nonsense. Yeah. The, the agenda against Arsenal is real. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, let's take it on then. Let's have a quick look at the team that finished the season uh, on the 26th of July, 2020. Mm. Uh, this was one of the seasons in which we finished eighth. But this will just kind of highlight the evolution of the team mm. in that period of time. It yeah. was Martinez in goal. I don't know why he's got D Martinez. Has he got some different name that we don't know about apart from Emiliano? I don't know. Martinez. That's a good question. But, um, but anyway, uh, Maitland-Niles was at right back for the benefit of those of you listening. Holding, Luis and Tierney made up the rest of the defense. Xhaka and Ceballos were in midfield. Pepe played from the right, Abamiang from the left and Willock uh, was playing in behind Alexander Lacazette, who was leading the line that day. If you look at that now, only, you know, in terms of starting lineup, only Granit Xhaka remained because Guarantini is not the first choice left back anymore. Rob Holding is still in the squad, but is is exactly that squad player. Aubameyang's gone, Lacazette's gone, Willock's gone, Pepe's out on loan, but I highly doubt he'll return. Sabios uh, has gone Luis has gone Martinez has gone Maitland-Niles is out on loan as well but another one I don't think is going to return so when you look at that and then you compare that to the side uh, that played Manchester United just the other day I mean it's it's worlds apart so it just goes to show doesn't it that sometimes for you to put the the team in place that you want when you don't have the the crazy finances and I'm not saying we're poor right I'm not sitting here claiming that we're a poor football club and, you know, we've got to do things in a, a really savvy way. We have to make the best of what we've got. Our resource is greater than most clubs, to be fair, because of our size and stature. But, I mean, look at the turnaround in the squad. This doesn't happen overnight, Mike.
1: I mean, there's there's two things there that's, that's really interesting, is that from, that from that first team, how many of them players did we get rid of that we actually got, like, a bit of money back for. So obviously Sabios was alone, so that doesn't count. Maitland Niles is still there. Pepe's still there. Um but you know, Aubameyang left on free, Lacazette left on free, David Luiz left on free. Martinez we got 10, 15 million, something like that. So that was that, that was not too bad. Willock we got a bit of money for. Um but you know it just highlights the point that we were doing business um in a way that's not sustainable because we weren't we didn't actually have lots of sellable assets. I mean Pepe we bought for 70000000 million. We'd be lucky to get $15 million back, really. Um, so it just shows you... i you know, be surprised
0: the surprised w- if we got that. if I'm Yeah.
1: I, I mean, to, to be fair, I've not really kept up with with, with how he's doing um, on loan. Um, but I know that he's not doing anywhere near as well as like Filar and Balogun, who we could get money for because he's smashing the goals in. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, and then the second thing is um, you actually look at the front free, Harry, and you look at the, the the ages and you've got Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang. Let's just let's take Willock out of the equation for a minute. Um, you know, Aubameyang and Lacazette, highly experienced players. Pepe who's about 24, 25. Um, and then you look at the front three that beat United and his sucker and and Martinelli. I tweeted the other day, they've got a combined age of 65. You know, that's almost 10 years younger than Arsene Wenger. Um, <laughs> and most importantly, cost six million. The only player we had to we had to pay for there was uh, Gabriel Martinelli from from the Brazilian league, so you know that that that's, that's not a team that's cost us a lot of money. It's a, it's a it's a front three that that we've built ourselves of our academy, and that's absolutely fantastic that we're using that and utilizing that. And then it's a, it's a player that we've we've plucked out of thin air, really, from um you know from from the great scouting network that that we've got. So. We we need to do more of that because we're a club that, like I said earlier, are not going to spend the money that Man United, Man City, you know, all, all of them teams play. Like we can't, we went and we, we we needed a backup wing wing on. We went out and got Leandro Trossard. We didn't spend 70 million on, 80 million on Madrid or, you know, we can't do what Man City do where we've got a 50 million pound player uh, as backups in every position. We we just, we're not in a position to do that. So we've been really smart about it. Um,
0: and, you know, I hope I hope it continues. And we've had to be patient as well. And and that's something that you need to give the club credit for, because it would have been very easy given the pressure that was being applied by certain sections of the fan base to replace Mikel Arteta and and rip this process slash plan up and throw it in the bin, you know, ages ago. But you look at some of the players like that are on the screen now. So this was the team that played Man United just for the benefit of those listening. Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, Odegaard, Partey, Xhaka. Saka and Ketia Martinelli. The reason I talk about patience here is because William Saliba, okay, a player that we obviously signed for quite a big amount of money when you consider what he'd achieved in his career up until that point, but it wasn't a ready-made solution for us. We had to be patient with him. We had to send him out on loan. Um, You know, he went back to Saint Etienne after that initial uh, loan spell ended, Arsenal still weren't sure that he was ready. He had that spell at Nice. Uh, and then, of course, he went to Marseille. And now he's come back and he's a player that is ready to help us. So we've had to be patient. Now, that was a signing made pre mikel Arteta. But it's one that he's looked at and gone, you know, just because it's not my signing. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. It doesn't mean I'm going to distance myself from this guy or cut him loose or, or insist that he doesn't play, but... I need to give him the time to, to develop and grow into the player that I want him to be. You know, so that's one example of patience. Bukayo Saka, he's been impressive since he burst onto the scene, but he's never been at this level that he's shown now. We've given him time in that position. And there have been inconsistent patches in which his form has dropped off a little bit over the, the course of his journey. But that's, again, part and parcel of it. Eddie Nketiah. Patient, give him time, give him the right coaching and look at what he's bringing to the table now in Jesus's absence. Martinelli wasn't the player uh, or, yeah, wasn't the player that he is today a year ago, even a year and a half ago. And Martin Odegaard, Mike, brought in on loan, did okay. You know, last season was pretty good. But again, you give him that patience, you give him that time and look at the player we have uh, lining up for us week in, week out now. So there's had to be as well as spending as well as turning the team around as well as getting people out the door that were stinking out the place if we're being honest we've had to be patient in so many ways as well and now we're reaping the rewards for that um yeah i mean i think that's kind of all yeah. i want to say on on the sort of team evolution and and you obviously pointed out as well that at times we played three at the back uh, during Arteta's first season now mm. I think looking back on that is it fair to say that that was something he did because he felt it was necessary as opposed to it being what he wanted.
1: Yeah, absolutely and it was I think it it was a case of getting through with what you have and um and yeah like really trying to really trying to hone down or getting that defence right first because like under Emery not only couldn't we attack but we were a defensive mess so Arteta went in there and said okay I need to sort out one thing I can't do both at the same time. So he went defence first, tried to create a solid foundation. Didn't always work, but, you know, I can, I can see why he would have done that just to stop the rot a little bit. Um, and obviously, you know, the one thing, that, the huge thing he did in his first year was, was get the FA Cup, and that afforded him a lot more time. Had he not won that, I don't know. Would, would Arsenal have bowed to fan pressure, uh, media pressure? Would they have, you know, pulled the trigger and got rid of him? I, I don't know. It's, it's possible. Um, but they they kept faith. They obviously saw what he wanted to do, and saw the players that he needed that we've just discussed uh, to bring in to allow him to play that that style of play. And it's uh and it's worked. And uh, yeah, as I say now, like our, our style of football, uh, it's the best in the league by far. I, I would say um, we're not as like robotic as as Man City are. I think Man City with Harland uh, have actually got worse stylistically. They've not got worse as a team in terms of output, but. You know, when you replace a sort of false nine that they were playing, you know, they played Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, you know, it's it's a lot easier on the eye than, than a guy who sort of sticks up front, doesn't really get involved much in the build-up play and then just bangs them in. You know, I mean, yeah, this is 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 very much a stylistic view of it, but yeah, I I, th- I think we're playing the best football in the league anyway. Yeah,
0: I don't disagree with that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the North London derby. Um I haven't got the graphic because of my own fault. For- I couldn't format um, What we were trying to format In the build-up mm. to this show And we just ran out of time But um, You mentioned a little bit earlier on About the possession winning line In comparison yeah. to where it was last season Now yeah, You also highlighted to me The average team shape mm. And actually that's not that different mm. From what it was last season Which shows that You know the foundations For this style of play were there But we just didn't have the personnel yeah. You mentioned Cedric You mentioned Holding played that day Mohamed Elneny was in midfield Instead of Thomas Partey Which plays a massive part as well. Um, but just talk to us a little bit about this possession winning line. Yeah. How much yeah. further up the pitch it is and, and how that signifies that Arsenal are much braver and, and bolder, I guess, in their approach.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, in the North London derby last year, which was horrible as you can remember, Harry. I remember uh, well. <laughs> we got, yeah, we got battered, didn't we really? It wasn't, it was a it wasn't even a contest. So in that, in that game, um, yeah our possession winning line was twenty seven meters from goal uh which to give you a bit of perspective it's sort of like a few meters outside of the the d um so you know that's you know you're winning possession quite quite deep into your half um and i don't remember winning much possession that game anyway <laughs> they 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 battered us all over the park uh but then you so that's twenty seven meters and you switch it on to the one that we just had and it's thirty seven meters so it's a whole, you know, 10 meters up the pitch. And just, uh, I've got the graphic in front of me. I'll try and explain it as best as possible. But, you know, you move all the way through the the, the center of our half, let's just say. And you're actually um, near the, the the semicircle line of the of, of the middle of the pitch. So if you think about that, going from the edge of the D to the to the center, like, that's huge. Um, and what, what I noticed really, what really helped us in that derby, and as I mentioned earlier, we stationed... Um, Saliba and Gabriel are basically, you know, I'm I'm talking about the edge of the semicircles, basically on the halfway line. Um, And you're telling them, you know, win your jewels against Harry Kane, which is extremely difficult because he's one of the best strikers in the world. And I would say with his back to goal, he's probably the best because the way he can just get the ball down, immaculate first touch, you know, a few touches out of his feet and either spring a pass or, you know, make a run he's he's one of the best. So for, for Gabriel Saliba to to you know be so brave to the point where they would push all the way up to basically the halfway line to to attempt to win the ball, which is a high risk strategy as, as we know. It just shows you that the confidence that that they have um in terms of their own ability, in terms of the ability of their teammates to to, to cover them if they're not successful in that tackle. Um and, and the confidence like you know they're going to White Hart Lane, which is um sorry, not White Hart Lane the the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, um, swamp. you know, <laughs> the the swamp, yeah, the bog, whatever you want to call it, the toilet bowl, whatever. There's lots of names for it these days. Um, but you're you're going there, you know, it's a horrible environment. Um, you know, it's you've you've got the scars of last season fresh in your mind. Um, so to to play that way, especially for the defense, is really brave. Um, but it just what what it does, it squeezes the pitch and it allows you to build your attacks that much quicker. So within about three or four passes, you know, where we're in on their defence and you potentially got a one-on-one with Saka with Shaw, not sure, sorry, um, with whoever it was playing left-back, um, Sessegnon, sorry. Um, and, you know, you're, you're in basically. So, yeah, it's a huge, huge difference.
0: Massive. It's massive because if you want to press aggressively and you want to be able to sustain it for 90 minutes, you have to shrink the size of the area that you're required to do it in. If you're trying to press across the full entirety of a pitch. It's too much distance. It's too much legwork and you'll run out of steam very quickly. So one of the fundamentals behind playing a good pressing game is being able to limit the game into one area of the park. So if you can squeeze their opponent into their half and you're only then required to cover the ground and distance of a half, that's a much easier task than trying to press right across the football pitch. And where teams fail in pressing and and where Unai Emery used to fail in in the pressing game was he would make his forward line do it and that was great but if it wasn't backed up by the midfield and then by a defense that was comfortable and confident in squeezing up the pitch then there were the distances between the lines of your team were too great and you mentioned you referenced the centre-backs previously you dropped the ball over uh, per Mertesacker for example it was panic stations his, his first thought is, shit, I'm not catching you. What am I going to do? I'm probably going to have to take you out. Whereas, and, and that's not to dig out Per Mertesacker, by the way, because I, I think considering his lack of pace, he was quite a good centre-back. But the point I'm trying to make is that you need centre-backs that when you do drop a ball over the top of them will go, won't panic. They'll go, okay, cool. I'll turn around and I'll sprint back towards my own goal. And what you see in Gabriel and in Saliba is two players that are really comfortable within their own skin when it comes to Turning and sprinting back to their goal because they know they can cover the ground, they know they can cover the distance, um, and that has obviously been key in us adapting and changing our style of play. So it's a really, really important point. Um, just quickly before we continue, Damien says, "Harry, why this now when we're all out here sweating on a midfield transfer signing and you're out here reviewing the season? We're not reviewing the season. We're we're taking stock of the season so far." and Arsenal's progress so far because we're at the halfway point. I think it's a great milestone upon which to look back at what we've done this season and what's been different. People, yeah, people want to see a midfielder come in. Absolutely, so do I. But Edu's not going to stop working behind the scenes because Harry and Mike are having a, a chat about <laughs> Arsenal's season so far. Edu's not going to, you know, say, hold on a minute, guys. I'm in negotiations with Brighton over let I'll tell you what, mate. I'll call you back because I just need to listen to Harry and Mike's season review. It's not that deep, man. It's it's honestly not that deep. And I, I don't understand this whole thing. Like, we're fucking top of the league, yeah? We got 50 points on the board. And there are Arsenal fans out there that still want to find any excuse to whinge and moan about, you know, what Arsenal have achieved so far and, and where they currently find themselves. Give it a rest, Damien. Have a day off, mate. Have a day off, seriously. <laughs> um, let's uh, Let's talk... Uh, Zinchenko and Tierney, because yeah. that too has made a massive difference. Now, I was having a chat on yesterday's show with Nicole um, about the Zinchenko-Tierney thing. I've seen a lot of people suggesting this week that maybe Kieran Tierney's time at Arsenal is done. I don't really see it like that, but it's clear that with Zinchenko coming in, there are a lot of things that Kieran Tierney maybe wasn't bringing us and wasn't bringing to the table that we just maybe didn't realize because it's almost like if you don't know that you can do better then that's a horrible way of putting it. I'm not shitting on Kieran Tierney, but the point Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make is that Zinchenko Mm -hmm. has added more, hasn't he? And, And that's highlighted in his positional play and in his touch maps. Yeah. I mean,
1: I tweeted it the other day, like Zinchenko's touch map from the, from the North London derby. Um, sorry from the the Manchester United you know what we've been winning so many big games it all just blurs into one harry we've been battering wh- whoever comes in front of us it's just like trying to think back to a game where arsenal battered a, a big opponent is really hard cuz it's like we've beaten everyone this season haven't we uh but yeah uh, zinchenko's touch map in the game against man united was unbelievable he's popping up a you know in his own box in central midfield in right wing in you know, left wing, left back, every position conceivable except goal. Um, and he was, he, he was, he really just does add so much. And, um, but that's not to say that Kieran Sinney's done. I don't necessarily think he's done because um, with the signing of Trossard, um, I get a sense that he likes to play centrally a bit more. He's more, he's more, way more of an inside forward than a winger, I think. And, and so you need different profiles, don't you? There's, there's, there's going to be games where in the Europa League this season, um, maybe in the Champions League next season, where we need to switch things up and things might not be working, and you say, "Okay, well, let's start a game with you know not Zinchenko and Martinelli, where Zinchenko will basically play in central midfield and um, and Martinelli will play on the on the touchline. Let's play Kieran Tierney, who we know can can bomb on up the left, and let's play uh, inside him Trossard. So you are just basically flipping it, and uh, yes, you do lose something because you don't have that central midfield." Uh, addition. But, you know, maybe you drop Xhaka in a bit deeper and say, you know, you do the role that Zinchenko does. So you need different options. It's not just like, okay, we've got this style of play now where Zinchenko plays as a central midfielder and that's
0: the only, you know, thing that we can do. We can, we can, we can change it, can't we? Yeah. And there will be games where, as you say, you know, you like, I always look at Kieran and think, if I were wanting to put one of him or Zinchenko in a one on one situation against an elite winger, because, and, and you know, you, you come up against someone that makes you worry a little bit about your own game and your own style to the point where you're willing to make adaptations to live with them. I would trust Kieran Tierney in a one-on-one defensive situation more than Zinchenko. So it's, it's about weighing up what you need for what game. I think, generally speaking, Zinchenko brings more to the table. And generally speaking, he will be the left back moving forward but that doesn't mean that Tierney doesn't have a role in this squad and, and should be cast aside. I think Tierney was someone who had impressed at points, but obviously had a really dodgy injury record. And that injury record, I think probably caused Arsenal as a football club to start to lose a bit of trust in him, not in his ability, but in his abil- in his availability. And as a consequence of that, they felt that they could go out and get someone in um, who would help there. Uh, but obviously what they've seen from Zinchenko has been amazing. I mean, I don't know if you read that story yesterday about Zinchenko. Obviously, we talk about his leadership all the time and, you know, the way he sort of really puts his arm around people and and sort of drives that mentality that we're seeing at the moment. Did you see the story about Jakub Kivio, who was obviously in the stands um, against Manchester United? Zinchenko spotted him, apparently, um, behind the scenes and went and grabbed him and dragged him into the changing room and said something along the lines of, you know, if you're going to be with us, you're with us now and sort of bringing him in so he could kind of feel the whole, um, you know, the whole mood around the place at the moment and and where we're at, which is, that's the kind of thing that, you know, people used to say Kieran Tierney should be the captain. Odegaard shouldn't get it. Kieran Tierney is a leader in his own right, but Zinchenko for me is taking it to a totally new level. Um, And, you know, he doesn't need to wear the armband. Martin Odegaard wears the armband, but now you've got Zinchenko, you've got Xhaka, You've got even, you could say, Saka, you know, the way he leads Jesus when he's on the pitch, being an experienced player. There's so many people in that group now that you can turn to and look to for leadership. I also want to talk on Gabriel, um, again, another player that you highlighted,
1: Mm.
0: because he has been um, a lot of people at the start of the season were almost blinded by William Saliba's brilliant performances Mm. and almost forgot, I think, how good Gabriel has been and can be. Post World Cup, Gabriel for me has certainly been the better of the two. It's not mm. to, again, not William Saliba, but I mean, just look at the, the jewels he's winning and, and the solidarity he brings us. How important is it that we have him firing as well?
1: Yeah, huge. And I think we sort of forget he's still like not a not an old player. Is is he twenty five, maybe? Twenty four, twenty
0: five, possibly twenty six. 20- I'll yeah. I will check now, but it's definitely 25 or 26. Hold on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he's not like, you know, a super, he, he's not like a Thiago Silva um, where he's got all this experience. He's won loads of things. Yeah. He's not, he's not, he's not at that level. I mean, he didn't get into the Brazil squad, right? So that just shows you not, not only the, the, the level of uh, competition at centre back for Brazil, but I mean... Yeah, he's not really at that level yet where he's uh, you know, an, an elite defender. But I think what what he is is that he he takes full responsibility. Um, and I think really he's he's dragged Saliba through these these last uh few weeks. And Saliba has started to get better, but I think we both picked it out that after the World Cup, he he really he, his form dropped off a cliff and he, he just didn't look right. He wasn't quite there. He wasn't quite at the races, basically. He didn't have the the sharpness, the 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 speed, the sort of you know he, the way he glides across the pitch wasn't really there. So I think Gabriel has proved his, his importance even more so. But you, you're right, there was a period early in the season where Gabriel was dropping a few clangers, and you know he's he, he's human; it's going to happen. That his his performances can't always be a ten out of ten. Uh, but I, I think what what he does have now, he's got that sort of standing in the Arsenal team. He's got that that leadership ability, and he's got the the presence that um you know. Uh, looking at Jules in the in the North London derby, and as as I say, as I mentioned earlier, he was you know battering uh, Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world, like with full confidence, like not giving him an inch. Harry Kane didn't have anything in that game pretty much apart from that header uh, and maybe a chance in the second half, but he was limited to to barely anything, and he did pull to, more towards uh, Gabriel's side. So yeah, I mean he's a, he's a huge player for us, man, and uh, it was important because he almost went to Man United, didn't he? It was uh, he had to choose between yeah. us and Man United and uh, and and we got him luckily. Uh, but yeah, it could have been. Yeah,
0: could have been a whole different story, couldn't it? Indeed. Uh, just quickly, if you haven't left a like on the video, what on earth are you waiting for? There's plenty of you with us live right now. Nowhere near enough likes on the board. So please do leave a like smash it. Exactly. Uh, if you want access to our premium content, the next piece of which is coming to you guys tonight. After the FA Cup tie with Manchester City, I'll be dropping some player ratings from the Etihad Stadium. Then please do uh, visit the link in the description, sign up on another slice, create your account, download the app. Or if you prefer, you can take the RSS feed, the custom RSS feed, and plug it into whichever podcast app Uh, you prefer but yeah we really appreciate the support Uh, and you're not just supporting the podcast you're supporting the great ormond street children's hospital as well who we are donating to regularly from the membership pot. so uh, thank you uh, for that um mike gabriel jesus speaking of Mm. gabriel's uh what has he added to the front line that alexander lacazette couldn't basically
1: well, I think he's added a, a whole bunch, and uh, we've spoken a lot of times on this podcast, Harry, about um, about not having a, a complete number nine that could do it all. When we had a and and Lacazette, we had a player who could was really good at finishing. Um, okay, okay, not really good, but good at finishing. In in a he, he did you know he didn't always find the back of the net, but good in finishing. Uh, got in the box a bit of a poacher, and then we had Lacazette who could do the, the sort of other side of the game. I think Jesus can do both. I know his goal scoring did drop off a, a little bit, um, but just uh, I've got the stats in front of me comparing uh, comparing Lacazette uh, to, to Jesus. And I'll just, uh, I'll read them out for you now. So uh, looking at Lacazette last season, 21-22, uh, 30 games played, two goals excluding penalties, seven assists, um, two goals, two goals in a whole season, 30 games. And then obviously Jesus this season, uh, 14 14 games played, five goals, uh, five assists. I mean, it just it just shows you the the sort of the sort of difference there. Um, and obviously, uh, just looking at our other stats as well, dribbles completed. Lacazette for the whole of last season, 19 dribbles completed for Jesus, um, 27, um, and that's in you know uh, less than half of the games. Um, Ariel Jules is is more. Gabriel Jesus got 24 in 15 in 14 games compared to uh, Lacazette who has uh, had 21 last season. So, you know, these are these are huge huge metrics and we're can compa- play we're comparing players, you know, one who was the main striker for a whole season and the other who just came in, bear in mind, you know, is that there'd be a period of, of adjustment uh to, to to his new teammates um and all all of that sort of stuff and he's he's, he's smashing it basically. Uh and we pointed out at the beginning of the season you know how influential he he's been um and you know touches in the box as well I don't have that stat in front of me but I can guarantee you it would be way more than 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 Lacazette would have um and yeah he's just he's I think as well an important thing to touch on is not just like the technical aspects but you know the the mentality with him and zinchenko it's just lifted everyone
0: yeah it has indeed my kind of quick two pence on those stats that you just mentioned um the dribbling thing I think is huge Because what that does, you know, sometimes you see Gabriel Jesus receive the ball deep inside um, the opposition half or or sometimes he comes even a bit shorter. But once he gets it, he's got this amazing ability to just pop it left or right and turn. And once he turns and starts running at a defence, panic stations kick in. And you see that from our opposition and you see them swarm around him and, and try to dispossess him as quickly as possible from fear of what he might do. But in attracting and absorbing the attention of all of the defenders, he then creates space in the wide areas for Saka, for Martinelli, for Xhaka, if he comes up in that half space, for Odegaard on the other side. And he's so good at dribbling, but also knowing when the moment comes where it's kind of like, well, I'm going to lose it now. So I need to pop it off left or right. He's so good at doing that and absorbing the attention of defenses. So I think that's key. You mentioned the aerial jewels, again, massive. He's not a bigger guy. Then Alexander Lacazette, but you can play the ball long to him, and you know he's going to give the defender a difficult time. I remember that the, the game that sticks out to me in that sense this season was the defeat at Old Trafford, where we were playing balls sometimes from Ramsdale up towards him, and he would just give the Manchester United centre halves a real problem uh, in terms of like the way he would sort of use his body. He uses his body brilliantly, doesn't he? Yeah, um, I've got
1: just a, just a button. Sorry, Harold. I've, I've yeah. got a Jesus aerial memory as well. Um, it's well, Sadly, it's the only game I've actually been able to go to this season uh, at home to Leicester. Uh, and that was his first home game. And there was a moment where I think he was on a hat trick because uh, he scored twice that game. And the, there's a long ball from Ramsdale. And uh, he's headed the ball up in the air. And he's bodied Johnny Evans while the ball is in the air, brought it down, turned him, and then, you know, the, the goalkeeper saved it. But, you know, that would have been unbelievable. And for him to do that at his size, um, you know, obviously he's got great core strength, but he's not a big guy, is he? Like, he's yeah. still he's, he's still very agile. For him to be able to do that is just unbelievable. And it, it's something that none of our strikers of of, of the past, um, you know, the past four or five years seasons would have been able to do. It's just, yeah, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. Um, you know, you highlighted the goal scoring stats as well. And obviously he's already contributed more than Lacazette did last season, but it's it's so much bigger than that for me, you know, outside of the goal scoring, it's all the things that you've mentioned. It's the ability to have someone that, you know, can challenge in the air, even if he doesn't win it every time, but you know that you can play that there and, and, and hope that he's involved or, or he's going to buy you a bit of time. The other thing as well, I think, which is really key, and you touched on mentality, is how that's improved those around him. Because I think it has. I think it's improved Martinelli. I think it's improved Saka. But perhaps more significantly than any of those two, it's improved Eddie and Ketia. Because I've said this time and time again on this show, I'll just briefly repeat it. It's We knew that the injury to Jesus had, had been suffered. We knew it during the World Cup. And we had some time out in Dubai to kind of get Eddie and Ketia up to speed. Um, and what Arsenal have done is tried to coach some Jesus into Enketia, the dribbling. You are seeing if you look at uh, the stats for dribbles attempted with Eddie Enketia and you compare it to where he was at maybe a year ago, you can see that he does that a lot more. You can see that he's built confidence in doing that. You can see that he uses his body a lot better and you can see that his link up play outside of the penalty area is a lot more lively. Um, than what it was before. I'd always look at Eddie before and say he's a penalty box player. Outside of that, he didn't offer an awful lot. But he's obviously had some Jesus coached into him. And ultimately, that comes from training with him day in, day out. That comes from the coaching staff watching Jesus, learning from him, identifying, understanding what it is that's so effective about him, and then trying to put that onto Eddie and Ketia as well. So um, I think, as Mikey points out in the chat, I think he puts this perfectly, his very presence cannot be underestimated. Um, just quickly before we, uh, bid farewell, um, the average ages of the squad, I mean, it's mm. much younger and I, and I keep talking about this, Mike, but it is something that needed to happen, isn't it? It's something that if we were going to get this investment that we've obviously had, uh, in recent times, we needed to make it the type of investment that would go far, i.e. get players in that have sell on value. And obviously mm. age is a big part of that but also build the type of squad that you can keep together for five, six seasons. Yeah, there will be some additions along the way, but if you're going to go that big, you need to be doing it with a a sort of and and building a squad that is ultimately going to be sustainable for a period of time because this money that we've spent, we're not going to be able to keep on spending that. I honestly believe that there will come a point where we'll do a bit of a Liverpool and go, We've got our squad now. Now it's about making one or two additions. And and that point doesn't feel too far away anymore.
1: Yeah, no, I'll ju- and I'll just I'll quickly run you through those stats. Um so I was just comparing it to uh so the Arsenal squad in twenty twenty-one had an average age of twenty-five point seven. Um I don't know how you can be point seven years old um but that's just an average number um, but that mats, was i guess <laughs> yeah that uh that left us uh, fifth in the in the sort of rankings of clubs villa were top fulham man united wolves and then arsenal and then fast forward to this season we're we're top so we're the younger squad um and the average age has dropped from 25.7 to 24.1 um the the slight caveat is that we've used um we've used less players our our squad is a bit smaller uh, than, than it was but still you know we're we're 20 yeah 24.1 now ahead of um, Southampton second leads Brentford and Nottingham Forest so interestingly none of the other top six are in that uh in that top five which um it just shows you how, how impressive it is what we're doing you know yeah. we're not we're, we're not competing against um against the, the the teams that I've just read out um so, so the fact that we are there you know along with Southampton and and a, a forest to way down at the bottom and we're top of the table it's it's incredible but it's you know it's it's a, it's a huge shout out to not only the faith that the mikha has had in our in our academy players but it's you know it's the academy who keep pumping out player after player after player um and keep bringing them through and it will be interesting to see who who the next one is um you know might it be Charlie Patino I don't know might it be uh Brooke Norton coffee I don't know. There's a, there's a few options there, and I, I really hope um, that we that we give them a chance. I, I, I guess I mentioned this on the last pod I did, Harry, but I hope that trend continues when we get into the Champions League, and we don't just forget about you know bringing through these younger players. I hope they really do get a chance, whether that's in the FA Cup or the League Cup, um, to, to, to continue the what the excellent work that that we've been doing.
0: Yeah, for sure, totally agree. Um, we are going to have to leave it there because we're both pressed for time. Um, Someone mentioned in the chat, when are we going to talk about Mr. Consistent Ben White? He's been fantastic, but so have so many others. Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, you know, we could sit here and talk about them all day. And that's why we had to kind of limit it down uh, to sort of areas in which we feel that the team has really made progress. And we've talked a lot about the team as a collective more so than uh, individuals, but maybe we can do some, some additional shows sort of focusing on individuals and, and their sort of journeys as well. But um, thank you to everybody for tuning in as always. Don't forget to leave a like. Don't forget to subscribe. We're around about 40 odd subscribers away from hitting 26,000 on our YouTube channel. So that is growing all the time. If you could help us reach that milestone sooner rather than later I'd be very very grateful if you want some content around the Manchester City game which takes place tonight at the time of recording go back on the channel it's the last video Uh, if you're listening on audio it's the last episode in your feeds Um, from me and uh, DJ Khaled over there uh, thank you all so so much we'll see you next time until then uh, goodbye I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon